Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. We welcome you to be charmed by the Poets for Peace show on the Voice of Islam, where you can listen to inspiring poetry sent in by listeners like you. And don't forget, this is your show. So let others know that if you have written a poem you wish to share, then you can send us your recording so it could be aired. And we look forward to being inspired. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states, Sin, which indeed is a poison, is born when a man is wanting in obedience to God and is empty of his love and his affectionate remembrance. The fate of a man whose heart has become cold to the love of God is like that of an uprooted tree, no longer capable of drawing the sap of life from the soil. As such, a tree gradually withers and dies. So like the dryness of the tree, sin overwhelms the heart. The remedy for this state of dryness, according to the law of nature, is of three types. Number one, love. Number two, istighfar, that is, seeking forgiveness of Allah. It literally means a desire to bury or to cover, reminding one that as long as the root of the tree is buried in the soil, it can hope to bring forth green foliage. Number three, the third remedy is toba, which means to turn towards God in all humility, drawing the sap of life and to bring oneself closer to Him, to break loose with the help of righteous deeds from the enveloping cover of sinfulness. Toba cannot be achieved merely by word of mouth. In fact, Toba can be perfected only with the help of righteous deeds. All acts of goodness are aimed at achieving perfection of Toba. So for for me in 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 my life what I did was I said to um it came to a point in my life where I said I need spirituality. Right. I need to know about there must be more to life than just working, getting up in the morning, going to work at nine o'clock, coming home at five o'clock, going to bed, waking up the next day, and doing the same thing over and over again. There must be more to life than just eating food and taking pleasure from a meal. There must be more to life than drinking a latte and taking pleasure in a latte. And all of these thoughts take you towards spirituality. And when you know spirituality, that is to come to Allah. So, so that was how it started. But then what really, you know, practically for me, what happened was I said to the, the various friends that I had at the time, you know, I believe in, I want to know about God, whether or not God exists. What would you advise me? So I spoke to a Christian, right. I spoke to a Buddhist, I spoke to a Muslim, I spoke to a Hindu a, Hindu, a little bit, yeah. and also to an Ahmadi Muslim as well. Right. And they all gave me the same advice. They all said, Allah, we believe in God, we pray, and God answers prayers. Sure. So what was very nice is all the different religions essentially gave the same advice. Right. When I did that, then when I prayed, then Allah answered my prayers. And I prayed for the first time genuinely from my heart. And Allah says that whenever the supplicant prays to him, then he answers those prayers. Yeah. And Allah 
by the grace of by the grace of Allah Almighty, then he answered my prayers, and I believed in him for the first time. And from there, I continued those conversations, and I said to the Christian, "What do you believe?" I said to the Muslim, "What do you believe?" And to the Hindu, the same, and to the Ahmadi Muslim. And essentially, to believe in Islam, Ahmadiyat means you believe in all of Jesus's teachings, all of Krishna's teachings, all of Buddha's teachings, but you have them clarified by the Holy Quran, right. and then you accept the Prophet or the Imam Mahdi who's been sent by Allah in, in subservience to the Holy Prophet mm. So to, to become an Ahmadi Muslim means that you actually accept everything that all of the others do, but you are the most submissive to Allah because you accept a Prophet that has come so recently that to make that decision shows or inshallah it shows to Allah that I'm willing to follow you and not just my culture, not just my society, but I'm willing to accept the one that you've sent in my, in my time, in my generation. Sure. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states, Sin, which indeed is a poison, is born when a man is wanting in obedience to God and is empty of his love and his affectionate remembrance. The fate of a man whose heart has become cold to the love of God is like that of an uprooted tree, no longer capable of drawing the sap of life from the soil. As such, a tree gradually withers and dies. So like the dryness of the tree, sin overwhelms the heart. The remedy for this state of dryness, according to the law of nature, is of three types. Number one, love. Number two, istighfar, that is, seeking forgiveness of Allah. It literally means a desire to bury or to cover, reminding one, that as long as the root of the tree is buried in the soil, it can hope to bring forth green foliage. Number three, the third remedy is tawbah, which means to turn towards God in all humility, drawing the sap of life and to bring oneself closer to Him, to break loose with the help of righteous deeds from the enveloping cover of sinfulness. Tawbah cannot be achieved merely by word of mouth. In fact, Tawbah can be perfected only with the help of righteous deeds. All acts of goodness are aimed at achieving perfection of Tawbah. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Awuzubillah min shaitan rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. 
Good morning to everyone who is listening into Voice of Islam this morning. You are listening to Mubashar Zafri here at the studios from Voice of Islam uh, in London. Joining me today, we have Imam <coughs> uh, Usman Manan, who will be joining me in the different discussions that we'll be having today. Um, so today we have uh, lined up a few interesting topics, topics which are important, topics which are quite <clears throat> controversial in um, certain aspects, uh, especially when it comes to the different notions that uh, are attached to it. Uh, it's a topic, or at least they are topics which uh, hold great uh, importance when it comes to understanding the methods of how religion uh, and society uh, take shape. Um, so the two um, different topics that we have, the first one being women's rights in Afghanistan, is a topic which has been discussed uh, at different occasions, at different places. Uh, so today we will be discussing that too and see what uh, Islam says regarding women's rights. Um, what has been said uh, in uh, relation to Afghanistan and we'll discuss um, what what is actually happening. Uh, then we will continue uh, with uh, um, the second segment in which we'll be speaking about what's happening with the Afghan uh, refugees in the UK. So initially we'll be discussing the women's rights and then secondly we'll be talking about the refugees in the UK, especially the ones who come from Afghanistan. So these are two discussion points. Um, if you have, uh, you know, something interesting to say, something interesting to share, if you want to uh, call in, you are most welcome to call us uh, at, uh, on um, 0208-687-7878. That's if you want to uh, join the live discussion here in the studios. You can call us on that number. Otherwise, you can join the discussion on um, uh, our social media platforms. Uh, and the pages at Voice of Islam UK. So you can do that. You can uh, join the discussion on um, the social media platforms. Otherwise, you can call it in. So again, these topics are very uh, important. They hold great relevance uh, uh, in terms of today's day and age. And we'll be discussing them shortly. But before we do that, we will speak about... Um, what's been happening in the news. So uh, today's um, uh, headline news is, or newspapers, front pages, we'll just quickly go through them. So uh, the Times speaks about electronic tagging plan to stop migrants. Um, uh, the Times reports that illegal migrants could be tagged in the same way prisoners are in a bid to save space in detention centres under new Home Office plans to reduce case uh, backlogs. Then we have the Daily Telegraph. Uh, according to Daily Telegraph, Home Secretary Suela Braverman has demanded every police force in England and Wales must investigate all reports of theft they receive. Um, then we have uh, The Guardian. The Guardian leads on two major studies that warn ultra-processed foods significantly raise the chances of high blood pressure, heart attacks and strokes. It also reports on London Mayor Sadiq Khan's warnings that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak could undo a decade progress on clean air if he doesn't back the expansion of the capital's ultra-low emission zone. 
So that's Eulers. Again, I mean, a lot of people, there has been some backlash regarding that. Um, uh, as people are, might be aware, the congestion, uh, the, the ultra uh, low emission zone ha- is expanding very shortly. Um, and there has been some uh, backlash with that. Uh, moving on to the Financial Times, uh, it leads on Western companies warning that the, sl- uh, the slowdown in China's economy will weigh heavily on global trade. Um, so these are the different things that uh, uh, are being put forward. Then the Sunday Times uh, speaks on the news that nurse Lucy Letby may have taken advantage of chaotic conditions at the overstretched Countess of Chester Hospital to murder babies. The Sunday Telegraph uh, reports that Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves has ruled out any form of wealth tax should Labour win the next election. Uh, And the Mail on Sunday, uh, Labour has a secret plan to charge motorists by the mile. According to the Mail on Sunday, the paper claims that London Mayor Sadiq Khan is working on a new pricing system for the capital's roads, which could see drivers forced to pay a fee based on the length of their trips. So uh, this is what's uh, been happening in the news, and this is what um, you know um, is is currently you know taking shape uh, in the world. Um, apart from that, uh, a very interesting thing that um, you know some of our listeners would be interested to hear is that uh, hopefully next week, by the grace of God, the annual convention of Germany will be taking place. And His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmed, and may Allah be his helper, the worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, he has departed uh, the UK for uh, for that convention and has, uh, you know, safely arrived in Germany. Uh, this this took place yesterday. He arrived in Germany in the evening and he is there now, and uh, he will be staying there for a few weeks. To basically attend the convention there and also to inaugurate a few mosques and then uh, apart from that um, also meet the community members that reside in Germany and also those who come from neighbouring countries such as uh, France, uh, Belgium, uh, Holland, uh, the Eastern European countries Mm. such as Bulgaria. Um, Poland, so he he'll be meeting a lot of uh, the members of the community there who were unable to come to the convention that took place here in the UK. Now Germany is expecting huge numbers for this uh, convention. Uh, it's estimated that at least seventy thousand people will attend this convention, and the reason being is that this uh, convention of Germany is a historic convention. Reason being is that in um, uh, this year, in 2023, it has been 100 years since the community has been established in, in Germany. It was back in 1923, in the time of the second caliph of the community, when uh, the propagation of Islam Ahmadiyya started in Germany, and this is when the mission of Ahmadiyya community was established there in Germany. And since then, it's been flourishing, um, and uh, hence they will be commemorating 100 years of the community in Germany and therefore this convention that will be taking place this weekend uh, holds such significance. 
So um, there's a lot of people who are traveling here from the UK to Germany for that convention. Um, a lot of people uh, are expected from the UK. Uh, so uh, let's see uh, how, you know, how that turns out. Um, again, this convention will be covered and broadca broadcasted on the, um, <coughs> on the uh, ch TV channel of the community, which is very well known, uh, MTA. So they will be covering the three days of the convention, uh, you know, every day from there, uh, from Germany, Stuttgart. So if anyone uh, who's interested to watch uh, any of the <clears throat> broadcast and the stream, they are more than welcome to join us or, or join the MTA channel on YouTube or even on their sat satellite. So it'll be quite interesting to see uh, how the convention in Germany is held. Apart from that, His Holiness will be also addressing the convention there. He will have three, uh, in fact, uh, four addresses. So the first one being the Friday sermon address that he will be delivering, of course, on the Friday. Then he has two um, two addresses that he will be delivering on a Saturday. First one being in the ladies' side, where he will be addressing the ladies. And then uh, following that, he will be addressing the non-Ahmadi Muslim guests that attend the convention, and this speech will be in English. And finally, on the last day of the convention, His Holiness will be uh, addressing the uh, attendants or the attendees that have come to the convention, and not only those attendees that have uh, physically come to uh, visit the Jalsa or the convention but uh, as I've said this will be broadcasted on the TV channel therefore millions of people will be joining through MTA and will be listening into the um, the address of His Holiness on Sunday so this is what's been lined up for the Germany convention um, and that's what's happening in uh, the community uh, moving on with that we swiftly move on to now uh, generally um, what has been happening so Imam Osman is there anything interesting that's happened which you would like to share with our uh, listeners uh, yes assalamu alaikum uh, peace be on everyone uh, first of all we are going over to Mallorca in Spain where just recently there has been a crazy storm and floods and one of the cruise ships of the P&O company has crashed as well and has uh, faced a lot of difficulties. A lot of people there on holidays, um, they are facing many difficulties and you can see some videos where people are stuck on the ship. There, the, the, There's like water almost... Um, you know, uh, covering half of the door of the cars and you see videos from buses where people are showing all that fire trucks so it's quite uh, very chaotic um, <clears throat> the passengers on the um, P&O cruise ship which, was, which is based in Southampton they described how after it broke loose the ship floated away like a paper boat a walkway also fell into the sea a small number of people are being cared for on board after sustaining minor injuries, but it said the ship will stay in Palma to allow for a technical assessment. 
and the captain of the ship earlier told the passengers there was no structural compromise. So uh, it, the damage was not too big, but uh, nevertheless, it is very, um, let's say, annoying and very inconvenient for all the people who are there to enjoy their holidays at the moment. And uh, um, one passenger, Gavin McCoy, said that the unexpected drama um, happened while the local fire service and crew were carrying out an emergency drill. So uh, maybe that's a good thing that they were practicing and something uh, serious happened. He said that uh, about 11 o'clock in the morning, a sudden rain and windstorm ripped us away from our dockside moorings, breaking tethering lines water hoses and causing the walkway to fall into the sea. Um, he said he was sitting by the window in the coffee shop and the first thing we saw were the blue dockside reception marquee tents blowing through the air. And then you can see some pictures as well uh, on the streets of Mallorca. Um, just like you mentioned, you see tents flying around, cycles uh, and other materials like you know, being blown away in the streets. Um, the torrential outbreaks of rain and gusts of up to 120 kilometers per hour, which is around 75 miles per hour, have hit the islands. The condition led to the cancellation of over 20 flights uh, so far. Weather warnings for parts of the um, archi archipelago have been extended until Monday. And the captain informed passengers that there is no structural compromise, but Deck 5 has sustained a small amount of damage. PNO Cruise spokesperson said they were aware of an incident involving Britannia on Sunday morning and were working to assess the situation. And Mr. McCoy, who saw this uh, all from the coffee shop, said that everyone was safe and there was no problem on the ship apart from a few scrapes and bumps to uh, one or more lifeboats that project from the ship. The many people on coach excursion will be able to uh, get back on again, and passengers will have access to onboard entertainment and activities while technical teams make an assessment of the ship. So uh, the damage is not too great, but it is. Uh, it could have been worse. And then uh, um, coming over to uh, the UK again there <clears throat> there has been some issues some legal issues regarding the migrant barge um, baby Stockholm uh, which is facing some legal issues over safety uh, fire safety the government plans to accommodate asylum seekers on a barge on England's south coast face a possible legal challenge over the fire safety Lawyers for the Fire Brigade Union have written to Home Secretary Swella Brave, uh, Braverman raising issues including overcrowding and fire exit access on board the Baby Stockholm. The government has been given until Thursday to respond and the Home Office says the well-being of asylum seekers is a priority. The Baby Stockholm, the barge, is a three-storey barge currently um, in Portland Port Dorset, which is intended to hold around 500 men while they await the outcome of the asylum application. So they had to bring this barge in because uh, because of the number of migrants and um, according to the government, they, they cannot house them. They don't have enough 
housing for them. They have already given notices for uh, many um, refugees and asylum seekers that they will need to sort out their own accommodation. Uh, and this has been going on for a few months now. And uh, in the letter to the Home Office, lawyers for the FBU cited media reports which said the Bibi Stockholm had only 222 single occupancy rooms. So this is the capacity. But that additional beds had been placed in each, in each room in order to increase the capacity to 500. So they are overcrowding this barge, which is uh, right now like floating on water. And they are risking uh, a lot of um, safety issues. Uh, a whistleblower in the local authority is also quoted as telling the Times that fire checks in July had led to serious safety concerns and describing the barge as having the potential to become a floating Grenfell, uh, referring to the Grenfell fire, I believe. And the FBU previously asked to meet with Mrs. Baverman to, to discuss uh, these concerns, but the request was turned down, even though, as she stated earlier, that, um, I mean, this, this safety issue is their top priority. And in a letter to the union on 17th August, Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick said the government had already engaged with all the appropriate bodies. He added that the safety requirement for the Bibi Stockholm were the same as for any vessel and that fire safety checks had been completed successfully. One uh, home office spokesperson said the health and welfare of asylum seekers remains of the utmost priority. So quite you know, contradicting um, statements here from the government as well. Uh, but let's see what they do and Let's hope they do something because uh, you see these, these little issues can cause big problems later on when uh, uh, when you when you don't expect them when you don't expect anything to happen. Let's say there is a fire and the fire exits are blocked. The the, the capacity is meant to be around two hundred people and they have stuffed in like twice the amount. Uh, in that chaos, when people start running around, lives will be lost. So the government needs to quickly solve this um, issue. This is also very, very much related to our second topic today, speaking about the um, Afghan refugees uh, and uh, their situation here in UK. Uh, and the barge has already faced a number of legal challenges, including um, from refugee charities representing individual migrants and over whether um, the government has secured the appropriate planning permissions. And the latest challenge comes as the Home Office considers plans to fit people arriving illegally in the UK with GPS tags as an alternative to de detaining them because of a lack of space in the immigration detention estate. Absolutely. Yeah, this is something that, uh, you know, has been... Uh been popping up on the news quite a fair amount the refugee crisis what's been happening with that and as you said this is something that we will discuss uh, in detail in our second segment which uh, will be after 8 o'clock around 8.15 so uh, before we get into our first segment in which we'll be speaking about women's rights in Afghanistan the promises that were given uh, when the Taliban seized um, you know or took over 
the uh, took over Afghanistan recently in 2021. Uh, what's been happening with that? We will delve into that. And again, as I've mentioned, if there's anything that you want to say, if you want to join the discussion here at uh, join the discussion live here in the studios, you can call us on 0208 687 7878. And if you want to dis- join a discussion but don't want to speak uh, live, then you can join a discussion on our social media platforms. Uh, uh, at Voice of Islam UK. So uh, I will be back and we will be back shortly. But before that, we would like to take a small break. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Our jihad is not a jihad of swords, guns, or bombs. Our jihad is not a jihad of cruelty, brutality, and injustice. Rather, our jihad is of love, mercy, and compassion. Our jihad is of tolerance, justice, and human sympathy. Our jihad is to fulfill the rights of God Almighty and of His creation. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. If you've just joined us, uh, we are currently going through the breakfast show. It is 7.32 a.m. here in London. Uh, the weather is shining, it's sunny, it's a beautiful day. And we wish every single person who's listening to us a blessed day. Um, So if you've just joined us, as I mentioned, we are going through the breakfast show. And as mentioned earlier, we will be discussing two important uh, subjects, two important topics. The first one being is uh, regarding the rights of women in Afghanistan. So the Taliban had said uh, in their first... Uh, press conference shortly after they seized power in on the 15th of August 2021 and they said we are going to allow women to study and work within our framework 
women are going to be very active in our society. Now, this was said two years ago. Two years on, uh, and these assurances have uh, been firmly demolished by the Taliban government's actions. Uh, the suppression of women's rights under their rule is the harshest in the world, uh, brought in through a relentless series of religious decrees from the Taliban leadership uh, and religion rulings that have been steadily imposed across Afghanistan. So as mentioned, these things uh, were said by the Taliban on the 15th of August 2021. And, um, you know, two years on, uh, it seems or it's quite evident that these uh, promises that were made were completely false. They had no uh, intention of giving the rights to the women. Um during each of these moments, you know, when the, the, these plans were given out or these promises were made, uh, you know, since then, the BBC has been on the ground speaking to Afghan girls and women, uh, documenting grief, fear, hope and resolve as their lives and world have shrunk. Um, the first indication of the Taliban's attitude to women came a month after the takeover. Secondary schools opened for boys following a Ministry of Education statement which made no mention of girls. Locally, we are told not to attend classes, a 17-year-old female student told uh, the BBC in Kabul at the time. For 11 years, despite the risk of violence, I worked hard so I could become a doctor. I'm devastated. She wept as she waved goodbye to her brothers heading off to school. In the same week, female employees of the Kabul city uh, administration were told by the mayor to stay at home with only those who performed jobs which could not be done by men. They were allowed to carry on. Restrictions were being uh, brought uh, uh, incrementally. Uh, in December 2021, the government's virtue and vice minister ordered that women travelling distance should be accompanied by a male. On the 7th of May 2022, the government announced a decree endorsed by its supreme leader, Mullah uh, Haibatullah Akhundaza mandating head-to-toe clothing for women. Those women who are not too old or young must cover their faces, except the eyes, it read. It also ordered that male family members should ensure that women and girls comply, or they would face action. Women who had worn long, colourful tunics or hijabs, jeans and high heels told us they had begun to wear loose black abayas. A hijab, a surgical mask to cover their faces and trainers or boots. More women also began to wear black burqas. We don't care, we have to wear it if that means they allow us to study and work, one explained. While women began to disappear from public life, the number of destitute women who had been denied the right to work and ability to feed their families were increasingly visible on the streets begging for help. Uh, by October 2022, a few months had passed without any major new restrictions when they allowed girls, including those who had not completed their last year of school, to sit for university entrance exams. Hopes began to be re rekindled. Some religious scholars have problems with girls going to school. The government is trying to build a consensus and resolve the matter. Taliban spokesman Zabiullah Mujahid told the BBC during an interview. So, though it seems like that the Taliban or the administration there uh, had given this promise of 
involving the women in society, giving them their due rights, uh, it seems that those uh, promises were unfulfilled. Uh, however, uh, as mentioned, uh, as the report says, that there has been some light at the end of the tunnel. There has been some uh, efforts being made, or there are some efforts being made uh, by the people there in Afghanistan to reintroduce uh, life for women in <coughs> Afghanistan, whether that means going to university, whether that means being able to sit down for exams. Something's happening. Uh, but it's important to understand that uh, we are speaking of women's rights. Uh, is is it okay what Taliban is doing? Uh, is that uh, what Islam teaches? Are Taliban representing um, what... Um, Islam, you know, promotes. And the thing is that, you know, I personally am not in any position to speak of any administrations or, around the world. And that is to say that, you know, nothing is perfect. No system which we see today practically, you know, uh, is completely perfect. There's always issues uh, that, um, uh, you know, uh, revolve around uh, these, uh, you know, administrations and governments, and no one's perfect. Uh, but the thing is that uh, Islam gives an explanation for everything. It gives a resolution, uh, or it resolves a lot of matters. Uh, and if the teachings of Islam are practiced properly, then we will see harmony. And the fact that uh, the, the the government Talib, uh, the government of Afghanistan or the Taliban's they 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 hail the name of Islam and they use the name of Islam for their you know for their actions. So it's 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 important that we discuss these things and portray the true colors of Islam, show the true colors of Islam. What is Islam actually teaching? Whether the teachings that are being presented by the, these um, you know people in Afghanistan, whether they match the teachings of uh, the Holy Prophet of Islam, uh, peace be upon him. So it's important to discuss these matters, and this matter regarding women's rights is a very important matter. It's 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 a matter which has uh, you know been under the limelight for some while, and especially with the modern day age, uh, this issue of women's rights has um, crept up a vast amount uh, for there to be societies now which talk about women's rights. We have feminists who promote or, you know, at least they ask for women's rights or equality for women. And we see that, you know, this trend uh, of um, you know that uh, this trend that women aren't being treated equally uh, and they need to be uh, given fair and uh, just uh, uh, you know rights and they should be given equal rights to men and this whole concept of equality between the genders uh, is something that's quite um, you know common uh, nowadays 
so it's important to discuss these matters and see and delve into them and see what the uh, root causes of these issues and what uh, Islam you know speaks of we being the promoters of Islam we being the flag bearers of Islam it's our responsibility to explain to the world what Islam actually teaches uh, what is being portrayed by the world and what Islam actually uh, promotes are two different things and this is what we want to clarify this is what we want to show the world that you know what you're being told or what you are seeing or what you're hearing from uh, different people uh, might not be correct it might not be what Islam teaches and we are here to tell you and explain to you that Islam is a religion that gives rights to women it, it promotes uh, you know freedom uh, of thought it promotes freedom of <coughs> education it promotes equal <coughs> opportunities uh, to both men and women in different aspects of uh, your lives uh, and this is what we are trying to do trying to remove any misconceptions that creep in regarding uh, this particular subject now <coughs> yes you know uh, brother the free uh, the government, as you said, <clears throat> there was a little bit of a rekindling of the, of the um, fire. But again, even uh, just recently, I think yesterday or so, uh, there has been another ban, and you won't believe it this time. It's they banned women from going to a national park in mm. uh, in Afghanistan, and the the reason for that, I mean, even as Muslims, even if you are pro hijab and everything, you, you this is not a reason to give. They said it is not compulsory. For women to go to national parks now this is not a reason to ban someone from going to a place right I mean who is who is anyone to tell the woman what 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 she wants to do what she should do or what a woman um, what's compulsory for her or not yes there are some rights which are laid on by the Holy Quran as you mentioned um, that wearing the hijab is part of your faith but uh, you also need to remember the verse that like Raha Fiddin, that there is no compulsion in religion. It does not matter how much, um, how important one act is. You, if you force someone, you you gonna break another commandment of the Holy Quran. So, you how how do you balance that? Absolutely. So this coercive behavior, of course, is not uh, in line with Islamic teachings. And this, you know, this ban regarding going to parks, <laughs> that's absolutely ridiculous because. Uh, even in the times of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the one who bought Islam, the one upon whom the Holy Quran was revealed, the one who was the, you know, the truest Muslim of all, the one who practiced Islam uh, day in, day out, who was the closest to Allah the Almighty, the one who, you know, who is the founder of Islam, he even never, uh, you know, uh, made such uh, commandments. He never commanded that the women aren't allowed on the streets or they're not allowed to go to the, you know, uh, to the fields. Uh, he, you know, you never, you don't find any injunction of the Holy Quran that promotes that. You don't yeah. find any injunction. Actually, you, f you find the opposite in Absolutely. the narration where he took his wife, uh, our mother, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased to her, he took her to a, a kind of festival Absolutely. where uh, she was watching over the shoulder of the Holy Prophet absolutely. So, and know, enjoyed it. And absolutely, this is this is this is a prime example of how the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was promoting uh, women's rights. Um, but you know, the thing is, it's important to speak about what Islam actually teaches. And for that, today we are being um, we are very fortunate to have. 
uh, a missionary, an imam of the community. Today we have um, Imam Majib Sahib who, who has uh, joined us here on Voice of Islam. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, Imam Majib. Assalamu alaikum, thank you for having me. Thank you very much for joining us uh, this early uh, morning. Uh, we are very fortunate to have you here with us. Um, and we're very, you know, we're looking forward to the uh, gems that you will be, you know, giving us insight to what Islam teaches regarding women's rights. Uh, but, you know, before going into that, uh, you know, just as an introductory note, could you just tell us what Islam uh, teaches us about women's rights? I think in, in my understanding of what I've learned about uh, Islam as a religion and its teaching in regards to women's rights, Islam uh, has been that one religion which has given complete freedom to women's rights. And Islam was the liberator of women's rights. So all those mis- all these misunderstandings, they actually stem from lack of education when it comes to women's rights in Islam because people haven't really understood what Islam is teaching us. If you were to look look at the Islamic teachings and compare that to other religious teachings, you'll you'll find that Islam actually goes way beyond any other religion when it comes to the rights of women. For example, if it whether it's the uh, inheritance, whether it's the uh, whether, whether it's the financial aspect of what the woman makes, Islam is giving complete freedom that whatever she earns, it's only hers, right. and no man has any right on that. So again, I can go in much detail all the teachings that islam has given in relation to women's rights were not there before that and islam islam is what islam is the religion which promotes complete freedom when it comes to women right um yeah i, I understand that you know these are the rights that uh, islam gives to women but um the question at hand is that you know what are women supposed to do when it comes to society what roles uh, does Islam uh, put on the shoulders of women? You know, there's a lot of emphasis uh, given to the role of a man, especially in, in this day and age. You know, man is doing that. The man is the bread maker. The man is, uh, you know, going to uh, going out for work. Uh, and of course, you know, when you look at the discussions that take place between the uh, equalists or people who find opportunity opportunities to raise the uh, you know the the discussion regarding uh, women's roles. Uh, I mean, just for just to answer that, uh, what kind of roles does Islam place on women? So um, that's a very good question. In actuality, uh, women women uh, can actually be doing anything that a man does. She can go to work. Um, she could she could be studying. Um, yes, Islam does place a lot of emphasis on the fact that a uh, woman has. The responsibility of leading a generation, i.e., the motherhood aspect, and that's a very important aspect as well in Islam. Uh, and for that, Islam gives a lot of value to the woman, and also tells that uh, you know she is responsible for the upbringing of the next generation. But having said that, at the same time, Islam does allow women to go to school, colleges, go to work and have all those equal rights that a man does, man has as well. And in terms of what she should be doing in a society, she is, if she, if we were to say that if a man is a bread, um, if, she, if this man is a bread winner, then she's the bread maker. She makes, she looks after the home. But as I said, having said that, there is no injunction that it says that this is the only thing that the woman should be doing. 
it's just one of those things that she should she she should should be doing. But at the same time, all the other things, just like a man does, can go to work, uh, can be um, can take part in other activities, can also go to study, can should also study, and not just can, but the Holy Prophet of Islam went on to saying that everyone should study, whether it's a man or a woman. And if so, if you have to go as far as China at that time, he said that you should go to study. So again, what is happening in Afghanistan is a very sad situation. Is complete lack of understanding, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, why do you think the Taliban are depriving the women of these rights, despite uh, you know, I, I I'm hundred percent sure they know that what women's rights are in religion, or I, what's the case? Well, I think. Um, I would disagree with you. I don't think they know. I don't think they understand the Islamic teachings correctly. Mm-hmm. Because if they were uh, to understand what Islam has to say, they may portray that they're they're being uh, they're following the teaching of Islam. But in actuality, they're not. Because did the Holy Prophet do this? And he didn't do this. So, in my understanding or in my opinion, what's happening in Afghanistan is very different to what Islam has to teach. Afghanistan situation is the result of a lot of people feeling frustrated, desperate. They don't want any other entity to come at the forefront, and they just want to keep the hold. And for that, they try, they do whatever they can to make sure that they can just keep the power within the view. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening. The fact that they're not allowing the women to come to work and whatnot, making it challenging for her to go to school, go to universities, just shows that they don't really want the opposite sex to be successful. And because they're just fearful that that may hinder their uh, success or may take away the power they hold. So I think it's a very selfish motive. And again, a huge lack of understanding, lack of education when it comes to uh, women's rights in Islam. And I don't, in my opinion, think they're following the true teaching of what the Holy Prophet or the Quran says when it comes to women's rights. Yes, I think I, I also agree with you now. <laughs> um, it is true, uh, the Taliban are not, uh, if they were understanding what the Holy Quran and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, have to say about the rights of the women, they wouldn't be doing this. Um, can you give us some examples? What or how did the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, protect and implement women's rights? Oh, very simple. If you look at uh, you know his first wife, Khadija, she she was working and he completely supported her um, so much so that he would help with all the chores. Again, um, if you look at his household life, he never gave gave that impression to the Muslims that. You know, uh, she's somebody that is entitled to everything. He would help out at home. And as the example that you gave with Hazrat Aisha, that he would um, take Hazrat Aisha out and whatnot. So he lived a very wholesome life. He gave that example so that people can follow. Not that the wives should be made to stay home or they can't go to work or whatnot, because that's exactly the opposite in his lifetime. Look at. Um, there's an incident that once um, his um, um, one one of the ladies from his family came to meet him, and he stood up out of respect, and he was showed the most utmost respect 
to his family members when it came when it came to the opposite sex, and he would allow them complete freedom. And he would not just allow them freedom; he would uh, also be involved in whatever they were doing, so that they don't that nobody feels that you know there's 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 two different entities. No, they, mm. he was a perfect example when it came to uh, both sex can be doing the same things. Absolutely. Um, you know, the way you've explained the the way the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was and what Islam has taught, this is completely contrary to what is being presented or shown uh, across Afghanistan and also other countries that hail Islam but uh, unfortunately present a different um, image. But the question really is, you know, on one hand we have the character of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, and the teaching of Islam. On the other hand, you have the believers of Islam, who you know who are portraying different things. Um, so the question really is then: How have these misconceptions regarding women's rights, uh, women's rights, crept into Islam? How what attachment is there, if there is any? Um. I think that's a good question, but so in my, as I said, I'll go back to what I understand from the situation, what's happening in the world right now. I think this is more to do with traditions, local traditions, because if you look at it, it's not the same across the board. For example, I'll give an example. If you go to Indonesia, a lot of uh, women go to work, and Indonesia is a country which is, you know, there's a huge Muslim population, and there is no challenges, no issues, even in other countries. But you know, the, some 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 of the countries in the Middle East, uh, they will go to work, they go to schools, they go to colleges, they 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 they, they, um, they go to universities. They are professionals in their fields and whatnot. So I don't think it will be correct in saying that across the board that's the situation. Yes, there are certain countries, sadly, where this is happening, and I think that is that is down to the fact that they are trying to follow certain traditions, which is a cultural thing, which they have uh, followed throughout, and that has slowly creeped into uh, their religion, which is a sad situation, and they're trying to do that now from, so they're trying to do this on the premise of of their religion, which is, whereas that's not the case, because uh, uh, we, we clearly know, because we've, we've got the example of the Prophet of Islam, and the Holy Quran itself. So I simply think that it's, it's the traditions, the culture, and also the fear of when, you know, they don't want the opposite sex to become successful, or they have this hesitancy that, okay, if they, if they go far in whatever profession, will that then mean that, you know, the power will be taken away from them and given to something that, they feel threatened by so that's my two cents on the situation right um so the thing is that you know of course you've mentioned how these misconceptions are creeping in and you know it's not the same across the board you know you've given examples of indonesia you've given examples of dubai middle east um i mean you know there is you know stuff happening uh but um what role do you think uh, should be done or what can be done to improve the situation in Afghanistan, firstly? And how can the rest of the other Muslims uh, raise awareness regarding women's rights? Um, so, 
Living in the West, obviously we can only do so much, but I think one of the most important things that we can do is educate people about the true teaching of Islam. Because we want to, we need to make sure that people don't get the wrong message, that this is not what Islam teaches. And for that, we have the responsibility to challenge the narrative that holds on. What they're doing is not Islamic. We are, we do not agree with their ideology. Islam is not all about that. So educating them. And obviously, the diplomatic pressure on the country is the only thing that can be, can be done. I don't think invading a country is a, is a good idea, ever has been a good idea, so that would not be something wise. But diplomatic pressures do make changes happen, and I have seen that, so that's one way. And secondly, what we can do um, in our personal capacity is to raise awareness, um, you know, we can we can be on social media and whatnot. So we 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 can now what the social media has done is given voice to the individual, and I think that's what if we really catalyze on that, we can really make a change in the world. That's what I think. That's what would be my opinion. Zakallah, uh, thank you very much, uh, Imam Majib. That was you know you've put it in a very uh, eloquent way, and we're very uh, you know grateful to you. Uh, for coming and joining us uh, this early morning uh, so uh, you know uh, very heartfelt thanks from us uh, and we hope and pray that you have a blessed rest of the day thank you thank you for having me thank you very much so this was uh, Imam uh, Majib who was speaking to us regarding women's rights in Islam what uh, Islam speaks of and what kind of things um, cause these misconceptions regarding uh, Islam uh, now very shortly we will be going for the 8 uh, o'clock uh, news uh, segment and after that when we come back we will carry on speaking uh, regarding Afghanistan what they have been doing I mean just of um, some of the things they have done we will speak of that and then we will also delve deeper into the islamic uh, principles the islamic perspective uh, we will bring some uh, we will, you know some light to the subject through the words of his holiness the fifth successor uh, and the worldwide head of the Muslim community we will see what he has to say uh, and uh, we will also speak of different things that uh, occur regarding the women in Islam through whether that's whether that is the Holy Quran or whether that's the tradition and narration of the Holy Founder of Islam. But before we do that, we are going to take a, a short leave news, and after that, we will be joining you again. Allahu Akbar, Allah. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا 
listening to the voice of islam radio walillahi alasmaul husna fad'uhu biha Hazrat Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him. According to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al-Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see Him. He is Al-Latif. He is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His light is manifested through His prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, disseminated this light the most. For it was He who had the most perfect perception of God and it was He who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his ummah, as well as his opponents, as only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed. Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show. We just had a short break and as you know we were talking about or if you don't know we were talking about uh women's rights especially uh around Afghanistan about the restrictions the Taliban's have been uh placing on the women <clears throat> so we're going to continue this uh, discussion we'll talk about uh more about the reasons uh, of of the Taliban's actions what they have been doing um and also uh in 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 light of the holy quran and the narrations of the holy prophet and the sayings of the promised messiah and his uh, successors uh we will tell you what the true reality and the true teaching of islam is which is completely not uh how the taliban are portraying it so we were <clears throat> um let's look at a quick timeline of women's rights in afghanistan uh when we go back all the way to uh 1979 or even before that women um had suffrage and their rights were expanding and emphasized 1978 1979 their president was killed in a communist coup um when the <clears throat> when the soviets invaded the afghan civil war extremist groups gained greater control and women started facing restrictions on their freedom between 1996 and 2001 women were banned from attending school working leaving the house without uh without permission and speaking publicly and then august 2021 us uh withdrew troops from afghanistan after 20 years um over there the taliban quickly regained power and praised uh to continue upholding the rights uh women enjoy then in september 2021 the taliban put conditions on women attending universities um for example segre- segregated classrooms mandatory head coverings um um women sitting with older male uh, teachers and learning from teachers and in march 2021 girls schools closed for teens or only university students were still allowed which later on was also um restricted in may 2022 uh, the dress code mandated for women including uh mesh face covering november 2022 women barred from many public places including parks and gyms uh we just saw a recent um restriction about the parks law well. uh then in december women were barred from universities and ngo work and um april 2023 women are barred from un positions so this is the uh quick outline of the of how this uh women's rights or women's restrictions have developed and you see as you see a trend uh, since the taliban have taken over it's it is getting worse it's getting you know to the uh, it's quite the opposite of what they promised uh it's definitely the opposite of what islam teaches so you know like uh, it's, it's very confusing having this claim of having a islamic law sharia law such a big claim uh, the whole world knows about this and still you at least you know when you when you go to when we come here for example we come to present on voice of islam it's like i'm you know uh g- giving the biggest bluffs but i have nothing to back up 
So it's exactly the situation that the Taliban are speaking of things they don't even comprehend themselves. And they are saying this is our basic human values. Um, they should, I think, first of all, they should put some restrictions on themselves and educate themselves before they stop women from education. Absolutely. But it's also, you know, it's important to understand that, uh, you know, it's it's not just what Islam teaches, but um, the fact that the basic right that a human has, that's being stripped off. It's being taken away, it's taken away from the women living and residing in Afghanistan. And, you know, as Imam Majib mentioned, if someone who's new to Islam and is hearing these things, they shouldn't become biased and just accept the fact that this is what Islam teaches. Go look at Indonesia, go look at Malaysia, go look at Singapore, go look at uh, the Middle East. Take any country, for example, whether that's Saudi Arabia, whether that is <coughs> Dubai, whether that's Morocco, whether that's Tunisia, Algeria, you name it. There's so many countries that outnumber this one or two places in the world that have, you know, bans and restrictions women, outnumber them by a f- you know a massive margin. And just look at the, the their the, their quality of life. Look at what they are doing. Look at what, uh, what what Islam they are presenting. Women there not only are they working but they are thriving. They are uh, in key roles. They are <clears throat> decision makers when it comes to policies of the country. So it's it's not that, you know, only the Taliban or Afghanistan is a true representation of Islam. That's not the case. If that is a view that someone's <coughs> holding, then that's a very biased and unfair view because uh, you can't judge something based on one uh, source. You know, it's a, it's a key... Uh, you know, part of, uh, you know, even in education, when you study history or when you study different case studies, that uh, taking one uh, piece of evidence over a, you know, a substantial amount of evidence and making that your key, you know, your key point uh, of evidence is not, uh, you know, professional at all. It's not uh, it does not fall under any of the academia. So in the same manner, you can't disregard all the other countries and take Afghanistan as the prime example of Islam. It's not. And not only that, you, we have to go back in history and take a look at how Islam progressed under the under the you know divine law of the Holy Quran and the example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, we need to go back all the way to the first century, all, all the way back to the first decade of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and see how, how you know, Islam was thriving uh, when the true teachings of Islam were being implemented, when they were being enacted, when they were being practiced, but also, you know, not only, uh, you know, preached and practiced, but they were a core essence uh, of each individual, each Muslim, it was you know uh, imprinted in their daily routine to <coughs> establish equality, to establish peace, to establish harmony within the society. So it's important that we look back at the teachings, um, but it's also important to understand that you know why are these people doing this? What's the reason? You know, you know. On one hand, they're talking about Islam. And on the other hand, they are, uh, you know, doing, they're being, you know, perpetrators of all these uh, 
uh, horrible act. And um, I think it's, you know, when you delve into it, it's 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 a difficult thing uh, because there's a lot of things that people do that sometimes uh, is presented as Islam, but it's not Islam. Uh, it's more of a, a tradition, a cultural cultural tradition. Um, for example, you know, this is a very basic example, just for the understanding of. Uh, you know the wider audience or the audience that's unacquainted with the the Islamic tradition. Uh, for example, marriage in Islam, um, the key components of marriage uh, are nikah, which is the announcement, public announcement of the marriage, which is between man and woman. So that is called nikah, the public announcement. And the second <coughs> aspect, which uh, basically uh, makes the marriage legal is the Valima ceremony, which is basically an uh, an invitation uh, to people, uh, whereby the um, groom uh, feeds them, or invites them, or throws them, a, uh, you know, some like a food. celebration. Not th- sorry, not throw some food, but th- throws in like a, a celebration, a feast, where 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 they get together. And that is basically how a marriage is uh, legalized in Islamic tradition. This is all you require. Uh, but some people unfortunately think that, you know, especially, you know, in the subcontinent, that marriage consists of three things. The mendi, which is the henna that takes place a day before the marriage or two days or however long some people take. Then there's the day of the marriage when the girl, uh, you know, goes away the the guy takes the girl back uh you know this you know they get together and they leave and the third day then of course is the valima where you know the islamic aspect of it where uh, where the guy invites all his uh, mates his friends and you know gives them food and that basically legalizes the marriage uh but a lot of the times in these islamic um oh, sorry in these subcontinent Marriages, the nikah, which is a key component of Islamic marriage, takes place many months before uh, or some days before the marriage ceremony or the traditional marriage, cultural marriage. Uh, marriage. So these are two different things. The Islamic marriage is completely different to what uh, is being done. I mean, it's somewhat equated, uh, you know, and it's somewhat involved within the thing, but those ceremonies are taking place. So a lot of the times, the traditional marriage, uh, it doesn't go against any of the traditions of Islam. You are involving nikah and the valima. Uh, but uh, to say that, you know, the subcontinent marriage that you see, you know, where you have the mendi, where you have the rukhsati, which is the giving away of the daughter, and the valima, which is the announcement. Uh, from that, uh, the, only, the only thing which is Islamic is the valima, which is uh, the ceremony or which is the um, the invitation of the uh, groom. That's the only Islamic aspect in the uh, traditional or cultural marriage of the subcontinent. So this is important to, to mention. This analogy that I've presented is important because through this you can understand that a lot of the times Islam does something or is, Islam presents one thing and that is enacted <coughs> in a very different way which, you know, has a lot of things. You have fundamentalists, you have literalists, you have, you know, liberalists, you know, you have liberals, you have uh, people who are, you know, uh, lack knowledge. All of these people when they come together and you, uh, you know, you add... 
uh, in the ingredient of uh, culture into the recipe. Uh, you know, things m- mingle up, they muddle, muddle up, and um, you know, you come out with something which is not Islamic but is presented as Islam. And I think that's the case. What's happening in uh, in 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 Afghanistan? Um, yeah, I think that's a really good example um, because if you see that, um, you see that different Islamic countries have different cultures, absolutely. even though they are it's all Islamic. Certain women wear a different kind of covering. Absolutely. Uh, the Saudi Saudi Arabian dress, even men dress differently than uh, men from uh, Pakistan, India. Uh, if you see a Chinese Muslim, he will still have his traditional dress. Uh, I mean, there's no Muslim dress as such. Yeah. So they are different. Um, even within Islam, you can have different cultural uh, differences. Even and that's though, the beauty of Islam, because Islam allows there to be different cultures within yeah. its boundaries. It allows and it harmonizes the balance between culture and religion. That's the beauty mm. of Islam. But I think that's what we forget to, uh, you know, that... Islam does all of these things, but they are never brought to the uh, limelight. They are they are always forsaken and forgotten or forgotten. So it's it's important that those things are, you know, told. They are briefed about. They are brought out into the light. Yeah, I think we have like two extremes here. Like in in Afghanistan, especially, you see um, the Taliban are enforcing the hijab unnecessarily. Um, I mean, not unnecessarily in in a way which is not appropriate, forcing it and forcing it. And uh, on the other side, um, in France, for example, recently again, you see that they are banning the hijab and forcibly um, um, telling women what to wear. They, they recently just um, banned wearing abayas in uh, state schools or any long coverings. <clears throat> so you know how like uh, the Western, let's say, dress code in schools, uh, you see a lot of girls, they wear skirts. Now, that has become a dress code, or you have to wear some formal trousers. <clears throat> but for a for a um, Muslim woman, let's say, if, if whether she's Muslim or not, if it's a Moroccan woman, if it's a Saudi Arabian uh, girl, her this is her this is her culture that she wears that long dress. This is even if you see Christians in uh, in Saudi Arabia in in these Middle East countries, they still adapt to that country. They still have their dress code. I mean, they still wear modest clothing. Just because they're not Muslim does not mean um, they have to reveal everything. They of still course. yes, they might not think that uh, wearing a hijab is compulsory for them, but there's still a lot of women who still cover themselves, <clears throat> cover themselves up, because this is the the um, you know the social decency level over there. And then you have the other extreme in in France and some other countries where you, they started banning hijabs in Scandinavian, uh, where you see extremism on the other side. So. I mean, the message of Islam is very clear that the the right path is the Sirat al-Mustaqim, is the, is the middle path. So Islam has set rules why hijab is important. It has explained the reason for it, the importance of it, the, the issues you will face if you don't wear hijab. Uh, and then on the, other, side, uh, on the uh, other hand, it has also given you the freedom. It has given you a choice. This is the injunctions. You can follow it or you can leave it. Absolutely. And this is what, I mean, God Almighty has commanded. He is the creator. He is the most knowledgeable. He knows everything. If he wanted to enforce hijab, I mean, he would not have any issues doing that. But he did not. The Holy Prophet of Islam, if he wanted to force women to wear hijab, 
he had the strength, the power, the political situ- uh, uh, position to do that. He did not do that. So many years have passed, and even today, I mean, a, a decent human being understands, you know, what what rights are. A decent, a normal human being. You don't need to be educated in Islam or any religious aspect. As as a, just like as a common man, you know that enforcing something on anyone is wrong. Whether it's uh, it can be. Um, there are differences if you if, if you put restrictions for example there's restric- restrictions on alcohol you can't drink before you're 18 now that is to protect something because a young person he does not understand the the harms of it even though I think even the adults don't understand the harms of alcohol but a young person is taking away the choice that you can't drink alcohol until you're 18 because you, st- you don't understand fully the situation or the consequences you're going to face okay so there's a restriction nobody has an issue with that when Islam puts in restriction like that on on anything, on a woman, for example, on hijab, that you have to wear the hijab because you don't know that the consequences of not wearing a hijab are very um, bad. You will face more issues if you wear the hijab. It will it will be better for you. You will have a um, you will see uh, the, having more privacy uh, and these rights. Uh, and then everyone has an issue that why does Islam it has, it has also given you a choice you want to wear it or not whereas in alcohol you don't even have a choice but the, but the difference is that one thing is regarded as oh it's to protect the society it's to protect the children it's to protect um, 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 people from you know getting drunk and then doing uh, all kinds of stuff but when Islam puts an injunction and it clearly lays out the why Wearing the hijab is important. It, it, it explains that what's going to happen if you don't wear the hijab. There's examples in the past, even today. Then everyone has an issue that um, why why are you um, restricting you know the woman to do that? I, I saw a clip recently. Um, it was a Muslim woman on the TV, and somebody said that that why why are you um, oppressing yourself? You know, why are you oppressing yourself with, with that hijab? And she was shocked. She, she said, who are you to tell me if I'm oppressing myself or not? What, she said, what if I say, why are you oppressing yourself in, and forcing yourself to wearing these clothes, these types of clothes? And she said, oh, this is freedom. And then that's exactly what, what she was trying to say, that if you are wearing something, you think it's freedom. But if I choose to wear something, you think it's oppression. I mean, that, double standards, right? That's the thing that people don't understand that you know Islam does not it does not enforce anything there's no coercion there's no uh, you know you know there's no such thing in Islam you can't oppress anyone to do anything Islam is a very free religion for you your religion for me my religion but if someone wants to the thing is it's sad reality that we speak of freedom of choice freedom of religion freedom of uh, you know speech but if someone who is willingly adhering to his religious traditions, you have an issue with that. Where does where does the uh, you know the freedom of speech go? Where does the freedom of religion go? Where does the freedom of your understanding, freedom of adherence go? It just goes down you know d- d- down a drain because <coughs> it, it it holds no value. If today you know you you hell. Being the greatest nations that present, uh, not only present the view of freedom of speech and freedom of religion, but 
you also claim to practice it in your society. But when someone who is willingly, wholeheartedly adhering to his or her uh, your religious traditions, you you know you come down and you portray to the world that these people are being oppressed. You you make us sound apologetic, or make at least those people who. Um, uh, you know, follow the religion. You make them, or you know, you perceive them as apologetic. You try to sympathize by falsely sympathizing with them. That oh, these people are being oppressed, and you know, this is this is not okay. You have the freedom. You can you know leave all of these things. You are living here in 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 the country where we promote freedom of speech. You don't have to be oppressed. Oh, why are you so oppressed? You don't have to wear these long things. But they fail to understand that the, the person might be doing it out of his own choice. So let them do that. Why make laws which, uh, you know, uh, they, you know, they, the, the laws that make it difficult for people to adhere to their religion willingly? I understand that some people, you know, and on the other hand, Islam doesn't say that, you know, coerce your children or your uh, members of household to do a certain thing if they're not doing it then they're responsible for their own actions they are going to be uh, you know they're going to be uh, responsible for uh, you know they'll be answerable in, 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 to God we don't have to take any worries for them if if they take a certain decision and if it goes against the Islamic tradition then they are responsible and they will be accountable it's none of our headache to you know uh, go on a rant and say that no you have to do this you have to do that we are in no position to do that in by any means. So this is what Islam says. Um, but, you know, coming back to the subject at hand, uh, I would like to present a uh, quote from His Holiness, uh, the worldwide head of the Muslim community. Uh, in a convention, His Holiness, uh, you know, specifically stated that, uh, you know, women are, uh, you know, were deprived of their rightful status in the early times even amongst muslims who were clear you know who have clear guidelines about the rights of women prescribed in the holy quran as wife status was as described the prophet like that of a worthless object the history of pre-islamic arabia shows that women were treated in an appalling manner uh, the holy prophet uh, peace be upon him championed the rights of women. He established their rights of inheritance, gave them equal rights. Islamic teachers are um, unambig- unambiguous. If women are pre- uh, precluded from doing certain jobs, this is not because they are deemed incapable or because their rights are being compromised, but because God has divided the duties between men and women. Some roles are better suited to men, and others are to women. Nevertheless, as far as the rights are concerned, they are all equal. So, it should be understood that Islam doesn't say that you know men and women are completely equal when it comes to um, certain aspects. You know we can never, you know, you, you it'd be insane to say that men are, and women are equal in every aspect. They are not in equal in every aspect. Our you know biologically we mm. are not equal. And can you believe this is such a huge issue today? Absolutely. There's so many people I mean, that believe that. I mean, that you know, just, me saying, just me saying that, I could be, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, on the other side of the stick, uh, you know, receiving, uh, you, you know, 
saying things such as you know be oh, trans yeah. transphobic yeah or you know you know he's being he's being that and he's being he's saying such and such things or you know I can be categorizing different but by different words just for saying that you know men and women are not equal in every aspect uh, and you know it's 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 sad reality that you know we have to face that today but the truth is the truth we can't run away from it and islam is very open about that it says that yes men and women aren't equal in every aspect you know there's certain things that uh, men go through uh, which uh, women don't go through and there are certain things that women go through which men don't go through you know islam on one hand understands that being a mother is difficult now a man cannot become a mother you know biologically right uh, we don't yeah. want to get into the you know the whole issue of uh, you know identities but biologically a man cannot be you know a mother a mother biologically is a female who gives birth and islam understands that that's very difficult so islam takes away pressure from uh, the woman and she doesn't have to do certain things that man, men have to do for example a man has to uh, fast right if he you know unless he's unwell or if he's very elderly and he's traveling he has to fast but woman if she's unwell and she's not uh, she's uh, traveling she doesn't of course uh, fast no. anyways because that is for both men and women but then on top of that if she is the situations know, like uh, when when a baby is born you know when you know if she's the got mother, a kid the mother yeah. obviously is not in a situation to fast of course the father has no excuse the Absolutely. father even if fast. he's waking up at night you know feeding the kid you know with a, you know a baby bottle and uh, he's doing all the chores you know all the things that a mother is doing even then he has to fast but a woman who you know has given birth to a child she does not have to fast as long as she's feeding the child uh you know she doesn't have to do anything uh in terms of fasting and then even prayers you know there are certain times of the month where women you know doesn't pray but a man no matter what even if he's you know in the most difficult situation has to pray so allah has you know made different aspects different you know criterias based on the biology of uh, men and women then you know the way we deal with things is also very different they the way men deal with stress is completely different to how women deal with stress yeah. uh, and islam again you know talks about those things and it's a, the reality is that the motherly love that a mother can give uh, a father can never 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 you know come to the you know come to even close to that you know it's 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 something that you know science not only has shown but we even see that through nature uh, a child is attached to the mother the way a child is attached to the mother the, the, he or she can never be attached to anyone like that you mm. know i have a child of my own and you know when he feels frightened or he feels scared the first person he's running to is his mother yeah right even if i am there he's going to his mum because he's so connected to her and this is the case with every person you know uh, uh, and therefore allah almighty or the holy prophet peace be upon him has said that the the paradise lies under the feet of the mother because she is responsible for bringing up that child a man's responsibility is to go do the hard work uh, of you know the labor work to provide for his mm. wife and his kids so that they don't have to 
go out there and venture for food, venture for, you know, you know, household stuff. They don't have to venture for fuel. They don't have to venture for, you know, how the fire will be lit at night. Yeah. That's yeah, you know, the, the there are always exceptions, but there are general rules. Of course, <coughs> now, you, can't, you can't generalize everything. Yeah, but so you know, the, the teachings of Islam, they, they are in general. Now, yeah, of course. Yes, this, there can be a case, there, maybe there's a couple where the woman is much stronger than the man, which is of very course. highly possible. But it does not mean that the woman has to go start doing all the work now, as she has to get the money, she has to, and, the, and the man's going to sit home and raise a baby. Even, even though the man is physically weaker than a woman, which is quite possible, but there, there are roles a man has been given because he's a man. Okay? Absolutely. That's what makes him a man. And you see, I think men who go and take their role serious, you see them thriving as a man. You know, they will be more masculine, simply. The woman who, who takes, uh, takes more care of her role, she will be more woman-like, more, you know, like lady-like. No, but I think it's also, starts... understand, it's also to understand that, you know, we, we must establish the fact that Islam also, you know, where where things are equal, Islam says that they're equal. For example, in the sight of God, you know, there is no excellence for either men or women. Both are equal in the sight of God when it comes to getting reward from God. When, when it talks about going into heaven or hell, it speaks of those things that, you know, there's no differentiation. Well, furthermore, when it comes to education, both women, men and women have been uh, prescribed that they have to go attain and seek knowledge. There's no difference between man and woman. Both men and women have been made, you know, it's been made incumbent upon both men and women to go seek knowledge of Islam. So we have to, you know, again, as Imam Mujib said, it's lack of education. You have to go study understand what Islam teaches, what's the philosophy of Islam's teachings, what is the philosophy regarding the equality of men and women, and where to draw the line. We need to understand that we need to draw a line. We cannot go on, uh, you know, uh, we can't keep going on about the fact that men and women uh, and these discussions and how Islam is, you know, uh, uh, taking away the rights of women go study for yourself go read the Quran go read the tradition of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him and go take a deeper look at the world what has the world come to and how can it be resolved and then look at the Islamic teachings and you'll find the answer but nevertheless that's the, we, we come to an end uh, to our first uh, discussion topic uh, we're going to take a quick break and then as we come back we will talk about the second uh, topic Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا رسول 
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Writings of the Promised Messiah, Salam. Then arise and repent, and win the pleasure of God through good works. Remember that the punishment of wrong beliefs is after death. Being a Hindu or a Christian or a Muslim will be determined on the Day of Judgment. But a person who goes beyond the limit and wrongdoing, transgression, disobedience, and vice is punished in this life. Such a one cannot escape God's chastisement. So hasten to win God's pleasure, and before the dreadful day arrives, namely the day of intensity, of the plague of which the prophets have warned, make your peace with God. He is very benevolent. To the one moment of the repentance that melts the heart, He can forgive the sins spread over seventy years. Do not say that repentance is not accepted. Remember that you cannot be saved by your deeds. It is grace that saves and not deeds. Benevolent and merciful Lord, bestow Thy grace upon all of us. We are Thy servants and have fallen down upon Thy threshold. Amen. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamualaikum and welcome back to the breakfast show. We were just talking about the women's rights uh, and especially talking the situation of um, Afghanistan and what's been happening there. <clears throat> now, n- naturally, because of all these restrictions, the new um, rule of the Taliban, there has been even more issues even outside of Afghanistan, which is more related to the refugees, which uh, which have to leave Afghanistan because of the extreme conditions. And uh, we will be talking about the refugees in the UK. Numerous families in Af- Afghanistan have faced disappointment due to the UK government actions, according to a think tank. The organizations suggests that there are lessons to be drawn from various instances of shortcomings and failures. Now, many Afghan families have been led on by the UK government um, as it called for lessons to be learned uh, in 2021, the government promised a significant cross-government effort, nicknamed Operation Warm Welcome, to ensure Afghans arriving in the UK receive the vital support they need to rebuild their, li- their lives, find work, pursue education, and integrate into their local communities. While thousands have since moved into settled accommodation, many remain in hotels and were given a deadline by the government at the end of August to find alternative housing prompting warming warnings of homelessness so first the government promised them to uh, you know give them a warm welcome but now the situation is such that they are telling people that you have until end of august you know like which is a few days left people have to find these afghan refugees uh, especially they have to find their own accommodation otherwise you're out on the streets now you see this happening all the time in the world with, with you know governments politics I mean, you, I don't think there's any politics in the world without any lies in it, without any deceit, without any 
obviously they 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 tell the people that well, we're going to do this we're going to do that but at the end of the day nothing turns out and the more uh, in common report published today said the pro- the program has not lived up to its potential well clearly not and added the british public's generosity of spirit towards afghan refugees has not be- has not been met by what has so far been delivered by local and national government uh, the result is that many afghan families have been let down more in common detail research conducted with a small group of refugees and found failures of communication with local authorities and the home office on housing the stress and anxiety of trying to find your own accommodation the repeated rejection of applications and unsuitable offers of accommodation being made either not taking into account job prospects or in areas hundreds of miles away and we also when we were talking about the news uh we mentioned this as well where the, this this uh, recent um uh, uh this legal uh, legal issue arise over the migrant barge the bibi stockholm yeah. where they have uh, overcrowded um refugees and asylum seekers uh, twice the capacity and i'm sure many afghan refugees are also part of this so what's going on <laughs> absolutely i mean it's it's, it's just it's so unfortunate that uh, we are in a situation like that where people are fleeing their countries they're already coming from a war torn place from place where you know they're at a state of destitution where there's you know hardly anything for them they're already coming from such a difficult place yeah. in hopes of a better <laughs> life with dreams and ambitions and a narrative a positive change and they come here and they are being treated with I wouldn't say the same energy but I mean they are not any better here if they are being told that we they cannot be accommodated they can be on the streets they 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 they, they will have nothing then what's the difference between you know they they could have stayed in their home in their homeland where at least they yeah. were able to speak the language easily they were able, you know there's accessibility to you know uh, to certain things yes i think we need to understand that I I mean I've I've met a few people who who've moved like my parents and other people who immigrated from their countries anyone who's lived in their in their home country for a couple of years that's 15 yeah. 20 years none of them want to leave that country no one would rather be in the UK than be in their home country because that that, that home feeling they Absolutely. they miss that they want that but the the problem here is that Afghanistan is in a situation that it's not home anymore is is as you said is a war-torn country and people are forced to leave they are being forced that if you want to have a decent life you're going to have to have to leave that country and go somewhere else and and you know in this dilemma they're coming to the UK and in in just in 2021 uh August since the fall of uh the city Kabul 22,800 people have been located in the United Kingdom uh afghan refugees and almost all of them with a family member um serving in british authorities and 9000 within temporary accommodation even after almost 18 months so the situation is it's it was not good in the beginning and it's not getting any better right now um hundreds of afghanistanis uh, including 150 children staying in kensington are moving uh, though they have been told to move to yorkshire and under operation warm welcome as the government said the help that was supposed to be given hadn't been um and support especially for the afghanistan's <clears throat> afghanistanians um who 
worked closely with the British military, nor was housing found quickly for those who fled to the UK. So the government here is is already struggling, but the the the, the solution they came up with is they told all the refugees, or I assume most of them, that uh, you have until August. Uh, we can't provide accommodation anymore. Find you find your own home. Find your own place. Otherwise, you are on the streets. I mean, that's the thing. That's a lack of planning. Lack of um, lack of understanding the you know the the situation and the conditions of those who are coming, the desperation of such people. Um, and, you know, if someone's coming from a different country, you know, finding a home on one side, you know, just communicating itself is such a difficult thing. You know, if they are, if they don't speak English, if they don't, if they don't know how to communicate in the language, then how are they even meant to do basic things like going to the you know a local store going to the doctors if they can't mm. even speak the if the, the language but it just shows the lack of um, you know you know the lack of planning for such people making <coughs> empty promises and then being uh, unable to fulfill them it's just you know it's it's something that repeats itself over and over mm. and again and you know just f- in terms of numbers uh it's un- it's important to understand like what kind of crisis we are in uh, to date, there are more than 8 million people who have had to forcibly flee from their homes. And Af- Afghans undergoing displacement are 3.2 million. Uh, mm. Afghan refugee number uh, being the third largest are Syrian and Ukrainian displaced individuals. 80% of Afghanistan's population's households have come across income reduction because of a third year of a drought like climate and economic decline for a second year. Debt taken is increasing and the amount of debt, uh, debt as well. 82% taking it and 11% are of the amount than, uh, and 11% increase of the amount than previous year. Earthquake in Afghanistan hit in 2022, which is worsened, uh, worst since uh, the 20 years, which then took a thousand lives at least and injuring more. So these are the people who are coming from places where there's drought, where there's lack of facility, there's lack of, uh, you know, uh, food, uh, there's uh, natural disasters there's war there's you know, so many things people are leaving there for a better life they come here and they're being told, they're being told that sorry we can't give you housing find it for yourselves otherwise uh, you offer yourselves and there's nothing we can do for you uh, imagine just being told that imagine putting yourself in that situation uh, you're leaving all this uh, you know all those difficult things behind in hopes of for a better future, you come here and you're told that you can't even get resi- you know, residence. You can't, you can't find any accommodation uh, and you have to become like a beggar and be on the streets. Just imagine, just put yourself in that situation and for a moment think how difficult it will be. And you know, some of these people are kids, kids who have you know, left behind their parents, people as young as 16, 17, young, you know, young teens who have come from these countries, uh, just imagine that they've got no one there, or you know, imagine the desperation of their uh, parents. You know, people who have kids, you'd be able to understand how difficult it will be to see your child uh, go through something difficult like that. And unfortunately, when policymakers make policies, they don't put these things in front of them. Um, and you know what? To be fair, it is difficult. It's not the easiest thing in the world, you know, to. 
to accommodate um you know and plan but it's something that you know we have to we have to do um it's not easy but it's a task that we need to do with uh, utmost justice and uh, you know with utmost heartfelt emotions because if we can't relate to the people who are coming here then we can't provide them with the facilities that they require that they need so it's important that you know first you sympathize with them and then you make such policies uh, and then only can you give the right uh, facilities to them but you know this is something that uh, we have to understand that uh, there was there was migrations taking even place during the time of the holy prophet peace be upon him people taking refuge in alternative places so through islamic history what kind of examples do we see of that and how were muslims accommodating when it came to displacement of others who were less fortunate yes uh, exactly that i mean as you mentioned it's not easy to accommodate refugees because these are even though you should plan for these things or we the government can plan to some extent these are things which are which are which come you know all of a sudden which are spontaneous um it's not like we're going to plan that in 2023 this is going to happen and so many refugees are going to come you you can't really plan that but you can expect it and these countries these more developed countries they i mean they have to expect these things because people are not going to flee from afghanistan and go to syria which is another war torn country they're going to go to a better place where they have um you know they, where they get their rights where they have safety where they have um equality and freedom uh mentioning uh, what you mentioned the the example of the migration in early islamic history uh, i think even though there were multiple migrations uh, the biggest one of them and the most uh, the most fit for this example to give an example was the migration of the muslims from mecca to medina that migration was not planned either but what happened is when all the meccans left and they came to medina they didn't have houses you know like today we have machinery you see in china they built um i think they built a hospital within months so we have that kind of technology to do that and we can create accommodation for so many people you know and and in a mass scale but back then so many people migrated there was not they didn't even have time to even if they planned a little bit they didn't have time to create houses to create accommodation for those people so but because of that that um feeling that um sympathy and feeling uh putting yourself in those shoes because of that the holy prophet of islam he instructed that what's going to happen is that we're going to take one brother from the mecca and we're going to tie him up a tie of brotherhood with uh with the family or with a brother in medina so what this way all the people they were divided up the whole city took up this this task and all those people was divided up in different houses and that way that that burden that pressure which was you know a task which which would kind of um confuse you how we're going to handle this that task became easy so one person had to take care of just one more person a burden on on an on an individual uh, it, it it could have been a burden it is a burden but as a nation as as a whole city that whole system the burden was divided and it it turns out that um everything went smoothly and this this is an example giving you know so many years later that oh this is how we can deal with migration now today 
I don't think you anyone in in this country would uh, agree that okay, I will take one refugee into my house, and that way they divide all the refugees into different houses. Yes, this is, these are different times. We are in in um, people have different perspective. However, this shows that what Islam has taught is is needed again. We that that universal um, the sympathy we had, what we were taught, we need that again. This is why if if the governments and the leaders they they put themselves in that sh- in the in the shoes of these refugees, they act with justice and as you mentioned, and they really they they give more focus to the more important issues, um, then these issues can be resolved very quickly. I mean this this we're talking about the United Kingdom. This, this is a country which has ruled the world, you know, for many many years. They're not stupid people. But what's what's missing is justice. What's missing is the sympathy for these people. You know, on top, everyone says that yes, oh, we should take care of refugees. The 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 government is providing this. The, the government is doing that. But at the, at the end of the day, what what it, what what it comes down to is the result, is what's happening. You know, and then the realities come out with 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 the barge that you are overcrowding people. This is not sympathy. This is not how you deal the situ- uh, with the situation. Now over to you, Imam Zafri. What, what does Islam say? Absolutely. Can we find examples from from the Holy Quran? Can we have uh, um, maybe? I'm I'm sure the Promised Messiah, the Khulafa, have spoken about this. Uh, why don't you enlighten us? Uh, absolutely. So the Holy Quran is full of uh, verses in which we, it speaks about equality, taking care of your neighbor, taking care of your uh, those who are less fortunate, uh, and um, it's it's a book that safeguards the uh, rights of all those who are less fortunate uh, it talks about if you want to g- gain nearness then treat others the way you, you would like to be treated the saying of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him that that you cannot attain none of you can attain true uh, faith until unless you want for your brother what you want for yourself so that, these are things that Islam says that you know, th- this is what you have to do and then you know charity th- th- all of this work falls under the field of charity so Islam is very very motiva- uh, motivative about uh, charity it always speaks about how charity is important how charity needs to be made how you have to sacrifice for yourself how you have to make a sacrifice mm-hmm. to attain uh, God's uh, love and pleasure and this is what again, you know, looking after refugees requires a, a level of, a, you know, a level of um, um, sacrifice. You have to sacrifice something from your own self to help someone else. Uh, the Prophet Messiah, he stated that um, he 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 didn't say that to show compassion to any family rather highlighting to us he said be kind to all of humanity no matter who they are he also said that never constrict the circle of your kindness so it's important that we <clears throat> you know in light of the islamic uh, teachings in light of what quran teaches in light of what the holy prophet peace be upon him teach us teaches us it's important that we are kind to all of humanity in this day and age, in this bleak times where things are thrown out around very easily, things which offend others, things which are provocative, things which are, are unnecessary, uh, to, you know, means to you, um, 
really hurt someone uh, to bring them down. There's a lot of that in this world, whether that's through, uh, you know, on a high, on a, on a on a big scale, or whether it's on a small scale, such as social media. There's a lot out there which brings people down, which uh, causes harm to others, and which causes uh, inconvenience and hurt to others. And it's happening around us, and it's important that we put our foot down and uh, and bring that to a stop. And that can only start when we ourselves individually start making a change within, within ourselves. When we start opening our arms to others, when we start becoming kind to others. So the message for today is be kind, not only to yourself, to your loved ones, but also to others. You know, show someone a smile whilst walking through the streets. You never know that smile might mean the world to that person. That might make the day. You never know how difficult uh, their day has been. That might make the day. So be kind, always be kind, be happy, try to make others happy, and you will find happiness yourself. So this is the message for today. Uh, it's been lovely speaking to you. We are about to take leave. The nine o'clock news is about to start. Till then, uh, uh, Take care of yourselves and we will meet again soon. Till then, 